Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm joined by Chris Penn. Not only is he a 2019 IBM champion in the IBM business analytics area, but he's an authority on analytics, digital marketing, marketing technology, and all things Google Analytics, artificial intelligence related. We're going to talk about the biggest misconception businesses have when it comes to artificial intelligence. We're going to talk about different ways of dealing with artificial intelligence and embracing it in your business and specific steps you can take to dip your toe in the water and use artificial intelligence today to make a difference in your business right away. You're going to learn a ton from Chris Penn. Chris Penn, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me back. So can you start by sharing something surprising about you that our audience may not know? I paid my way through graduate school doing tarot card readings. Really? Yes. I had no idea. I was expecting <laughs> it was going to be something that I would know our audience wouldn't know. Wow. No, no. In, in fact, at the most recent uh, Marketing Profs B2B forum, um, I actually did tarot card reading at our booth uh, for the trade show floor thing. It was a, kind of a neat way, neat spin on like the human aspect of predictive analytics. And of course, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of reasons why tarot card reading is statistically invalid, but takes advantage of human psychology. But yeah, I did that uh, for about a year and a half while I was getting my graduate degree. Wow. That is fascinating. And now have you built some sort of great AI solution that does tarot card, re- tarot card reading? No, no, you don't have to. I mean, just just fortune cookies are good enough. Which, by the way, I learned uh, fortune cookies are actually Japanese in origin. Really? Yes, they are. You know, uh, there's a whole bunch of Chinese restaurants now. They're going to have to fold just because of that. <laughs> well, so the story is, and there's actually a TED talk on this on, on TED.com. The story is that uh, when the United States put Japanese Americans in concentration camps during World War II. The Chinese uh, immigrants who were running restaurants, you know, especially in, in California, basically uh, appropriated the idea. I had no idea. So That's, there we go. Off to a great start. So, you know, and this could be the reason some people would have you on their show is just either tarot card <laughs> reading or the origin of the fortune cookie. And um, and I and I'm guessing at some point we get into the origin of the Oreo cookie or the Fig Newton, which has <laughs> nothing to do with gravity. But um, but instead, I want to talk about your expertise when it comes to AI for marketers. And obviously, you got the second edition of AI for marketers that's um, just come out. What's the biggest misconception that people have, especially in the world of sales and business growth, when it comes to AI? Mm, the biggest misconception there's actually two. Number one, uh, that it's magic, and number two, which is the the troubling one, is that if the machine did it, it must be right. Artificial intelligence, and you know the subset that I deal with, machine learning, is built on training data. The data you give it is the data it learns from and writes its own software from. So like all things in computing, garbage in, garbage out. You put garbage data in, you'll get garbage data out. Your sales reps have not bothered updating the CRM in you know, three months or they put random junk in the CRM. Guess what? Your, your machine learning models that you build on that CRM are going to predict junk. You know, that's, that's a, it's a great, it's a great, observation because I think so many people say, well, I mean, the system said this. And it's kind of like if you've ever worked out with a heart rate monitor on, you know, like I've got one thing that's a chest strap that monitors my heart rate. I've got another one that's just a Fitbit on my wrist. And nothing illustrates that better than in the rare times when I have them both on 
and one says that my heart rate is 142, and the other one says it's 191. I think at 191, I would be pretty much on the verge of death. <laughs> and and then the one forties is not a bad workout level. And and I'm looking and it's like if I believe the first one, it'd be like, yeah, well, just say goodbye to everybody in the room because it's all over now. <laughs> and and yeah. sometimes we just believe the machine. So the other thing I hear from people is they say to me, Well, you know, the problem is all this AI is just gonna replace people. And so salespeople are destined to um, to not have jobs anymore because AI is going to replace that. So what do you say to that? Well, let's think about this. If your job is to to re- mechanically and repetitively just take orders, fill out forms, and submit them to purchasing, then yeah, your, your job is at risk. If that's all you do, if that's what you consider to be sales, <clears throat> then any any job which is composed primarily of Almost identical repetitive tasks is going to be automated out of existence. Yeah, eventually. And and let's face it, in manufacturing and other industries, that's what's happened with automation because if they can – if something can be done mechanically and repetitively, that's fine. But but where, where else do we go from there? Well, so so that's that's the first thing is the, the repetitive stuff is going to go away. The second thing that will go away is this: if you are a a sales professional who is so hostile and inept, and and you deliver such a terrible customer experience that people actively avoid you, then yes, you will lose your job to AI as well. I mean, when you think about some of the the systems out there, like the chatbots that are that exist, they can do a better job of providing a mediocre experience than a human who's you know having a perpetually bad day or bad year or bad life um and so that those those folks will will get automated out of existence too because you know think about the, everyone's favorite place like the department of motor vehicles right <laughs> <laughs> those folks and and they're not all bad but when you get a uh, uh, someone who simply does not want to do their job you know that a machine could easily do the lack of performance that they're doing and deliver a, a better experience what will not get replaced are people who are primarily relationship first, people who are building relationships with customers for the long term, the long haul, the people who want to have like a decade or two decade long business relationship with somebody. The machines right now are really good at excelling at narrow tasks, but at broad multidisciplinary tasks, they're terrible and they will be terrible for quite some time to come. Yeah, one, I often describe that in the world of sales, there are three personas. You have the order taker, the salesperson, and the subject matter expert. And the order taker is basically the client calls up and says, here's what I need, and all they need to know is how much is it and when can you deliver it. And then you have mm-hmm. the salesperson who stereotypically thinks their job is to sell whatever they have to sell, whether the client needs it or not. And the subject matter expert is the person the client would actually pay to meet with if that's what it took to tap into their expertise. And the order taker, I often joke, if they have not already been, will be replaced by Amazon or other technologies because I don't need a human being if I know exactly what I want. And all I mm-hmm. need to know is when can you deliver it for how much. And today, Amazon tends to do that faster and more economically than just about anyone on the planet. Mm-hmm. And then if, I'm, if I have a choice between the stereotypical salesperson and the subject matter expert – it doesn't matter which one you think you are. All that matters is that when you're the customer, everyone would prefer to have the subject matter expert. So that's where I think organizations need to invest is on the subject matter expert side. The area that I'm most interested in for our listeners to understand is how can they use 
AI and machine learning to improve their success in sales and business growth? So a lot of the improvements in AI are coming in the software that you're using already. So if you've already got a vendor like a HubSpot or a Salesforce or a Marketo or whatever, you're going to see a lot of the improvements happening behind the scenes. You'll just see, you know, hey, you haven't talked to this account in a while and things like that. At the individual level, one of the things that is is a really powerful and dead simple technology to use is voice transcription. I use an app on my phone called Otter, O-T-T-E-R dot A-I. And I can fire up a conference call with it, and obviously with permission, uh, it can begin transcribing in real time a conversation that two people are having. And then I can store that data and you know make it searchable, things like that. So if I'm making 10 or 15 calls a day and I can go back and annotate like, oh yeah, I won that account, I won that account, I up- upsold this account. After a while, you can start to look at and say, okay, what were the words, the phrases, the topics, the concepts that – consistently help me win. Now, as an individual, you might want to do that. But certainly as a sales manager uh, or sales director, you definitely want to do that because you want to be able to look at your team overall and use it to do what we would call transfer learning. It's a machine learning term, but it applies equally to humans. If you see things that are working in, in one part of your sales team, you want to transfer that learning as quickly as possible to the rest of your team and see if it improves everyone's performance. So expect to see a lot of that. And the third thing you'll see a, a ton of is very deep attribution analysis to help people understand here are all of the things that go into eventually a winning deal, uh, a winning sale. And this is going to involve sales, it will involve marketing, it will involve advertising and public relations. Every, and even customer service, all of these departments have all of these metrics. And if you put them all together and look at it and use machine learning to, put, to assemble a, a complex model of what really causes a sale? The machines are starting to get to be able to do that now and understand, yes, this combination of variables likely causes a sale. And then you, your sales manager, your marketing manager, and your PR manager will all get together and go, okay, well, how can we test this? If sales enablement is, gets five new articles from the PR team every month, and those are you know, glowing complimentary articles, like, great, let's get 10 next month and see if we see, uh, see a commensurate uptick in the number of deals we close. You know, that's fantastic. I, I, I've had Chris Orlob from Gong.io on here before, and we were talking about some of the different things they're doing with voice recognition and transcription services to analyze phone calls after the fact. And, and, and I'm interested in kind of your thoughts about this because one of the things they pointed to is, look, we know that top performing sales reps are int- are talking about price after this concept, but before that concept and within so much time on their conversations, like really giving very specific information about where and when and how they should introduce price, for example. Mm-hmm. And you can take it a step further with a lot of the software that does what's called natural language processing, which is analyzing how words relate to each other. You can start to do uh, topic modeling. So they're talking about sort of topic modeling conceptually within the call, but then broadly, are there meta topics that you should always avoid or are there topics that like make sure that this comes up within the conversation because this tends to reassure a prospect? Yep. These people know what we're talking about. Kind of like what you're saying with subject matter experts. If someone's on the phone 
and they and they're asking questions that clearly indicate they need a subject matter expert. If you have that transfer learning in place, you can create, you can anticipate that need and be in front of it before uh, the person even thinks to ask about it. Now, how quickly does this technology work? Like, for example, is the technology of the state where real time it could be monitoring, and then the software could be suggesting different topics for the rep on screen on the fly? It's near real time for uh, large enterprise software. Uh, it is sort of batch for uh, smaller business stuff, but it will not take long to get to the real time, particularly as the voice recognition technology gets better and uh, deep learning technology creates models that can be used on the fly. One of the big problems with a lot of the heavy processing is that it takes a long time. But what's happening within uh, machine learning is that we're building better and better models that can be picked up, moved around, and sort of digested down so that you can look for maybe, – maybe you don't look at all 500 variables in real time, but you've, you've used modeling to identify the 10 that matter the most, and you have real-time software sort of checking for those 10 while the batch software runs you know, at the end of each day and tunes up which 10 those are. Yeah, and it may, and I'm guessing at a minimum at the batch level, it's something where you can say, look, so what the software is telling us is that in this conversation, at this point, when you heard this, this, and that, that would have been a good time to introduce this concept. And if nothing else, it's something that even if it's not synchronously happening after the fact, it, there's a learning and coaching opportunity to help people recognize those opportunities and respond appropriately. Exactly, and that's available in in many of these different language processing packages and things like that, where you can look at and say, what do what do the top twenty percent have in common, uh, and what do the eighty percent who are in the bottom also have in common that are, that are different from the twenty percent? Whether it's topics, whether it's per, individual parts of speech, sometimes it can be down to word choice. If I say, you know, uh, would you like to continue or would you like to not proceed? That's a very different set of word choice. But you can look to see in the in the records is one leaning towards a better closing rate. So there's a lot to be done with language and linguistics and everything else that you anything else that you can measure. I love it. I love it. And and that's that's the kind of stuff that people should be looking at. What are what are two or three things that businesses should be looking at if they're not already? And I'm guessing this idea of the voice transcription is one, but what are some of the things that people should be looking at if you say, look, if you want to be in a position a year from now that you can leapfrog your comp your competition, here are some ways that you should look at embracing AI machine learning in your business. There, it is tapping into the data that you already have. Right now in your company, there is a pile of knowledge waiting to be harvested in your customer service inbox. There's a pile of knowledge stuck in your CRM and in your call transcripts. There's a pile of knowledge out there on the internet of, in discussion forums about your product or service. Last summer, we did a project for a food and beverage company. And they were like, well, you know, we're, we're looking for new product development, and new ideas and stuff, but we don't, you know, we don't really know what we're looking for. We mined their CRM, their sales CRM, and found customers were asking about these two product categories that they never heard of. You know, they make uh, stabilizers, and people were asking about oat milk and hemp milk. And we're all like, I don't even know what that is. Uh, can you make milk out of oats? But apparently you can. And we brought it to them, and they're like, we didn't even know that, that, that this was a thing. Where did this come from? We're like, it's from your CRM. Your customers were asking you, can you make us something for this? This is our product. And so they're like, okay, we can go and do something and build a product line around those things. 
So that is the key to, to being successful with AI and machine learning. It's the low-hanging fruit. You're sitting on the data. You need to unlock that data, get it out, start analyzing it, and understand, hey, this is what people really care about. You know what? I, it's, it's such great insight because last year, after years of talking about this concept that I teach about called the same-side quadrants, we built the same-side quadrant journals. And when I look back historically, and I didn't use a tool to do it, which makes it even more embarrassing, <laughs> it occurred to me that no fewer than 50 times – had people asked me, hey, do you have these – do you have like a journal that's a template that you talk about with these quadrants? And every every time I would say, well, you don't really need that. I mean all you, you could just take a blank sheet of paper and draw two lines and then just jot down where these questions are. And I would basically tell them how to build it themselves. And they're like, well, okay. But they didn't want to do the work. They just wanted to buy something that already had it all built in. And mm -hmm. it took me – a couple of years to wake up and say, you know, people keep asking for this. <laughs> and I keep telling them, yeah, yeah, you don't need it. And then, of course, we produced a bunch of them and then had to produce more of them because it became wildly successful because I just – it's a classic example of people are asking for stuff and you're just not listening even though we think totally. we are. Totally. Another good place to look for is surveys. Companies send out surveys all the time, and they typically do a cursory summary of it, like you know, X number of people said on a scale of one to five that were a three. But there's always free uh, – often, I should say. Not always, but there's often free text. There's often free response, and nobody looks at it. Nobody analyzes it at scale. But you can bet if you went mining in that, and, and to your point, if somebody said, gosh, I wish you had this in paperback, or gosh, I wish this was available for uh, iBooks, why wouldn't you give people exactly what they wanted at a, at a price that they can afford um, and, and make a whole bunch of money from it? Because – if they're asking for it, they they it, you know they they're not saying that for fun. If they want to talk about something for fun, they talk about like Game of Thrones with you. They're saying, "I want to buy something." It is on us as salespeople and marketers to give people what they want, and the machines can help us get that data that we are sitting on right now. Well, it's funny you talk about the free form answers. Have you read Ryan Levesque's book Ask? Not yet. So so Ryan's book Ask, he talks about something called the SMI. Q, the single most important question. And what he says is that so he gives an example of they were in they were in a business, they were providing some sort of online training program related to care of orchids. And so what they did is they, they asked people, well, so gee, what exactly are you looking for in terms of knowledge or information about orchids? And the single most most frequently Asked question had to do with watering. Mm -hmm. How much? How much water should I? How much? How often should it be distilled water? Should it be this water, that water, etc. What temperature, volume, all those things. And so they launched a product around that, and I think he said they sold zero or one. <laughs> and then he went back and looked at the looked at the data and said, you know. I see certain people who give these really long verbose answers. So most people would say watering, and that was it. The long verbose answers were people who said, well, so we've had orchids for years. And what always kills me is transplanting them. So when I have something and it's got to move to a bigger pot, or this happens or that happens, that's when I lose them. And what he, what he discovered, and he writes about this pretty um, eloquently in the book, is that 
look, the people who take the time to give a long, detailed answer, those are the people who care enough about this that they'll spend money to mm. solve it. The person who gives the one-word answer is probably – like right now, it's like, yeah, their organs are dying because they're just either not watering them or they're watering every day. They have no discipline whatsoever. The person who is like, oh, every time I get to this one point, they die, they'll spend money. It's kind of like gardening. In, in our house, we have these raised beds for tomatoes and all sorts of other vegetables. And I believe last year I calculated that the average cost of a tomato in our yard is like $842 because mm -hmm. we don't know what we're doing when it comes to growing <laughs> tomatoes. So we're just spending a fortune on it. But that level of detail, I'm sure a lot of businesses are missing where they're looking at the most frequently um, asked question, not the one that's the deepest. Exactly. Not the most important. And, and within the sub-sub-discipline of natural language processing, there are actual algorithms that can isolate. This is contextually likely the most important sentence versus this is just the most frequent word. You know, Word frequency is sort of uh, a fairly primitive way of digging at some of this stuff. You really do need to, some more advanced technology to get at it. But it, it mirrors what we know about people, right? You talk to somebody about your product and you'll get a one or two word answer. You ask somebody about their dog and they'll, they won't shut up for an hour. Yeah, exactly. So let me ask you this. What's the most surprising or interesting development that you've seen over the last year or so that can make a dramatic impact on people's businesses over the next several years? Because you have your finger on the pulse of a lot of these things. Uh, the probably the most significant thing is, is actually a danger, and that danger is bias in our data. Uh, if we are not looking for it, if we are not considering it, if we are not planning for it and strategizing on how to prevent it, uh, it can really torpedo our efforts. There have been some very high-profile cases. For example, Amazon got in a whole bucket of trouble last year for trying to build an AI-powered human resources system to predict which resumes to, to move on to the hiring process, and they trained it on their existing uh, sort of uh, employee base. Well, their existing employee base is something like 90% male. And uh, one of Amazon's strategic priorities is more diversity. So their system was essentially, because it trained on the, on the data it already had, it, it did more of what they already knew. And that was, not, that was counter to what the system was supposed to be doing. When you have people who are sort of spearheading or commissioning these these uh, machine learning projects but don't have any background in the technology or what goes into it you can find yourself in situations like that and the bias can be it doesn't have to be overt the bias can be very subtle but what you notice is that and and you'll see this happen you'll see this mentioned a lot in, in these bigger enterprise projects people saying well the system didn't perform any better or the system performed slightly worse than what we were doing so you know there's there's no need to to use this stuff well no you you did something wrong in the preparation process or in the modeling and deployment process where you didn't account for all the things that you wanted to make happen as objectives. A really good example of this on the on a, a societal level is take a look at Facebook itself. Facebook has an algorithm, and the algorithm's primary responsibility and priority has been to optimize engagement. They want people on Facebook as often as possible, clicking on ads and so on and so forth, right? It's a very straightforward objective. 
because of the nature of deep learning, the, their backend software said, okay, let's t- pay attention to all of the behaviors of people on Facebook and what gets us to that goal of increased uh, attention and engagement and interaction. If we make people really angry and really afraid all the time, Boom, we get it. We get, you know, and so the algorithm has evolved to do that. That's why we have so many large conversations about things like fake news and stuff because the algorithm's optimizing for the goal it was given. Nobody ever stopped to say, huh, maybe we should also build for the long term. Maybe we should try and promote the overall wellness of our customer base so that they can buy things from us over a long period of time and not just hit our quarterly numbers because you know, that we are going to make Wall Street happy with. And so when we're doing this in our, within our companies, in our sales and marketing organizations, in our CRM efforts, we have to be super, super careful to look at the outcomes and say, is this aligned with all of the strategic priorities we have or did we optimize for just one or two things and not everything that's important to the company? Yep. Love it. Hey, let me ask you this. So you mentioned otter.ai. What are what are a couple of other tools that people should check out? Like, hey, if you wanna if you wanna learn more about what AI could do, here are a couple tools that you can tinker with. Here are a couple things that you can kind of dip your toe in the water and see how these technologies might be able to help your business. If you want to tinker and you don't want to break every anything, uh, take a look at signing up for a free account with IBM's Watson Studio. One of the things that I like about it is that it allows you to to tinker with the stuff in a graphical interface where you can you know drag and drop little colored blocks together, and you don't have to write any code. Now you you will have to still learn sort of architecturally what some of the the pieces are, but uh, Watson Studio is really good at at abstracting and simplifying this this stuff and then there are a whole bunches of demos uh you know microsoft has them like the co- their cognitive api uh, offerings the uh, ibm has a bunch amazon has a bunch but like i said you're going to see this stuff creeping into every product and service uh for those folks who use or are familiar with google analytics for example the 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 mm-hmm. website and and uh, analytics software there's a little button in the upper right-hand corner that's called – it was called Intelligence. I think it's called Insights. Now, it's a little blue swirly. If you touch that button, it pops open a little window and says, hey, our AI has noticed these things, these anomalies in your data. Did you know about it? Do you want to investigate more? Like, hey, your, your public speaking page had 40% more visits today than it did yesterday. You're like, huh, maybe I should go check that out. You know, Or you, your conversions were down 20%. Maybe I should check that out. So expect to see a lot of this stuff uh, coming more and more to, within every product you currently use. That's, that's great stuff. And let me ask you, because you just you just released this second edition of AI for Marketers. And when 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 was the first edition out? So the first edition was in 2017. Okay. Uh, my friend, our, our friend Ann Hanley said, hey, can someone write something that simplifies AI? So I wrote a bunch of blog posts and – and uh, because of what I was doing at the time, stuff career-wise and things, didn't have time to put it to a proper book, so I copied and pasted it all together, and, and that was the first edition. And then over the holidays this past uh, this past winter, I was like, oh, I should tune this up. You know, I was talking to my my CEO and co-founder, like we should do this as the the New Year thing. Open it up and go, oh, this is terrible. So just <laughs> select all, delete, start over. That's funny. So so it is it is a pure re- rewrite and. How many things, I mean, you think about it, it's only been a little over a year since the original version was out. How different 
is is this version. This version is a completely different version because <clears throat> instead of trying to get technical or try to bridge <clears throat> the technical aspects of AI to the reader, it instead is at a higher level of here's what you need to know about the field. Here's the things it can and can't do. Here are the, the major types of problem it solves. And here are the questions to ask your vendors. So it, it's more of a, a, a BS check for your vendors to help you ask good questions. <clears throat> I'd like to the, um, the, the title of the thing you were talking about earlier, the single most important question, because I truly believe most marketers, most sales professionals, most business professionals are not and should not become AI specialists, but instead they need to become the chief questions officer and be looking at what the machines are doing and what their staff is doing and saying, that's not, is, are you sure that's right? You know, is that what we really intend to have be the outcome? If we can do that, we'll make a lot more progress with AI. That's you know absolutely brilliant. Hey, Chris, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing? If you'd like the book, you can get that at the aptly named AIforMarketersBook.com. Uh, my company, you can find at TrustInsights.ai and you can find me personally at ChristopherSPenn.com. Lovely. Fantastic. We'll include all that stuff in the show notes. I always learn a ton when I'm talking to you, and thanks for sharing your insight. Thank you for having me. Chris has got so much wonderful insight, and be sure to pick up his book, AI for Marketers, the second edition. He's got amazing insight there. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information you can use and apply to your business right away. First, artificial intelligence is not magic, and it doesn't always have to be right. Garbage in is garbage out, and basically the idea is that if there's a task that you do that is mechanically and repeatedly performed, you probably don't have a long future in that because AI will replace that. Look at using voice transcription services like otter.ai and look at this deep attribution analysis to really get a sense of what's going on in your communications. And I love that idea of trying out the IBM Watson Studio with that free account to see how AI can benefit your business. Remember, this show gets a direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover or a guest I should have on the show, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer.